I'm really glad to be here. Thank you if you are joining us for the first time. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I'm really glad you guys are with us this morning. Um, I'm going to jump right in. I'm going to offer to you um, a bit of a warning. Um, This morning is not fluffy at all. Um, This morning is kind of an in-your-face passage of the Bible, which I think much of the Scripture challenges our hearts, but there are those momentary glimpses we get into Scripture that say, really, you've got to deal with this. Really, you as God's kids have to consider this. You have to weigh this. So this morning, we're in one of those passages. You are going to need a Bible this morning, though, so if you have one, break it open. If you don't have one, that's okay. Raise your hand. We will have one brought to you. Just keep your hand in the air. One of our ushers will bring a Bible to you. If you get one of those Bibles, I'll give you the page number so you can cheat and go right there. Uh, we're going to be on page 859. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5. We're, uh, we're closing out the series and the book of 1 Peter this week looking at uh, a topic which I've had the pleasure of teaching twice now in the last five weeks. So I think God's trying to tell me something uh, about myself more than anything else. But as we turn there, we look at last week briefly and we understand that if we looked last week at a radically altered lifestyle and and way we live, if we approach life the way we are called, then this week certainly we're looking at what could be the most radical of mindsets, the most radical of heart conditions in our society, especially because it cuts so counter to the culture that we have created here in the United States. In all of our freedom, in all of our liberty, we have also created a culture that really does not appreciate or highlight this particular characteristic. Although I would say when we see it, we admire it. When we see it active in someone else's life, we're drawn to it. So without getting really too deep into the mystery of what are we talking about today, let's go straight to the text. And we'll read. We are in First uh, Peter chapter five, verses one through eleven today. I'll read and we'll pray and we'll uh, we'll dive right in. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. 
Amen. God, this morning as we dive into your word, as we engage with your scripture, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be stirring our hearts. God, that you would lay over this room your presence. God, that it would be felt. God, that through your presence we would feel the conviction in our hearts that we need. And God, we would feel the the challenge in drawing close to you that we need. God, that you would speak clearly to your people this morning. That is our prayer. Be in and among us. Help us to hear and see what you have for us this morning. In your son's precious name. Amen. So this morning... As we look at the text and we sort of get a good gauge of what it's talking about, we see one overarching theme that sort of breaks itself out over a number of facets of life and ministry. It is a challenge. It is one word that we struggle with. It is humility. We don't necessarily like the word humility. We like to see it in people. But we don't like it because we've associated it with the word humiliation. So we sort of step back and we're like, I'm not sure I like the idea of humility because it's really kind of, uh, then it's not about me. But that is indeed what we're dealing with this morning. Humility and the pursuit of it. Which brings me to a quote, which I didn't type in your bulletins um, because I didn't. (laughs) But if you want a quote, if you need a quote, I have a quote for you. Here it is. It says this. We cannot say we are humble people. We cannot say we are humble people. We can only say we are proud people pursuing humility by the grace of God. That was by a gentleman named C.J. Mahaney from a book entitled Humility. I'm plugging the book. I'm not sure why I didn't write it. I'm not getting anything for it. It's just an incredible book. When you're looking for a book on this topic, I would highly recommend it. Plus, as you can see, it's not exactly really challenging as far as like getting through it. So perfect for for me. So the issue of humility. One, writing a sermon on the issue of humility immediately set up for hypocrisy. Great. So the other thing about humility, once you lay claim to it, once you announce I'm humble. You're immediately disqualified. (laughs) I'm humble. It's not something you can put on your resume. Strengths. Humility. Eh. It's not something you can keep record of for later observations. You can't keep it on your Facebook. Here are all of my humble acts. Please follow my blog at www.iamsohumble.blogspot.com You can't. You just can't. You're immediately disqualified the minute you go forward saying, I'm a humble person. Someone came up to me last night after the sermon and said, my one goal in life is to find a really humble person and then make them admit it. How cruel. What's wrong with you? The thing about humility is we do, we are drawn to it. When we see it active in someone's life, we're just amazed by it. And we see so little of it in our culture. As Peter deals with this, We're looking at two different things. We have to understand from the viewpoint of humility, what we need to also understand is the antithesis of humility. The the diametric opposition is pride. And if we're going to pursue 
humility, we have to understand that the enemy of that is, is pride. But pride creeps in in so many different disguises. It is the most well-disguised of all sins. In fact, I would hazard to say pride is the ninja of all sins. It sneaks right up on you and like, Wah! and then it has you. We don't see it coming because we've been given pride on so many different levels. So this morning as we dive, we're going to break out the description in kind of three main parts. And we're going to deal first with verses 1 through 4. And here's what Peter starts off with. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Right now he's diving in immediately and dealing with leadership of the church. Elders, pastors, ministry leaders. The issue with the word elder that he, he uses here is that it's interchangeable with, Greek, etymon, Greek etymology tells us, it's interchangeable with the word pastor. So elder, pastor, there it is. He's speaking to these men and he says this, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. So there are some key characteristics that these leaders must have that Peter dives in and talks about, and how humility plays into these. First, he says you must be a shepherd to care for, to lead, to guide, to protect your flock, those that are under your care. Humility is essential in this role because, simply put, if you are not humble, if you're not willing to lay yourself down, you cannot shepherd somebody because when you shepherd, you care for. And if you can't authentically care for somebody because you're so wrapped up in yourself, you are not looking out for their best interest. You're only looking out for yours. Shepherding is inconvenient and uncomfortable. You think about the role in and of itself, the actual word being a shepherd caring for sheep. Sheep are rather brainless. They kind of smell bad. And it's not exactly a really highly sought job. Now, of course, I'm not saying that about any of you. I don't want you to think that. It's like, did he just say that I... What? But the issue is that shepherding a flock like this still becomes uncomfortable. And sometimes it can be inconvenient when the phone rings at 1 o'clock in the morning. When you're called out to an emergency meeting. These are things that we have submitted ourselves to as pastors, as elders, as leaders. Because that is what we're called to do. And if there's no humility, those things will not happen. Because they inconvenience our lives. The second is this. That you must be called. It says, as God desires you to be. As God, is, as God wants you to be. Not as that. Not because... You must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. There we go. You must be called to be a leader. First Timothy 3 says those who desire leadership, to be an overseer, they desire a noble thing. Here's why that makes sense. Because you think, well, that immediately, well, you desire it. Isn't that bad? It's a noble thing you desire, but you must desire through God's will, God's grace, and God's call. If you are not, pride creeps in. So many times you may see someone with gifting or you may be someone who's been told, you really need to be in leadership. You really should lead ministry. You really should do this. Man, you have all these gifts. You have all these talents. You should be using them for the glory of God. Those are not bad things. The problem is is when those gifts are not united with God's calling and we try to force the issue, we become prideful in what we think we are capable of. When those gifts are ignited by God's calling, united with the Holy Spirit, then those gifts come alive. Humility makes way for a calling. 
pride leads into forcing your way in or just stubborn disobedience. I don't want to serve. I don't want to lead. I don't want any part of that. But it says we must be called. Must not be greedy. Making sound financial decisions for themselves, for the flock. That is the job of the pastor elder. That they are looking out for the best interest financially for the church, not for themselves. In other words, they're not putting a salary above ministry. They're willing to look introspectively at their own fruit, what they are doing. They're not, they're not looking for unfair compensation. Now, First Timothy 5 says that, that elders and pastors are worth being paid. So that's okay, but not unfairly, not unduly. There should be accountability in that. They should be stewarding well over God's resources. Pride says, it's about me, and I deserve my paycheck. They must be willing to serve. In other words, to engage with the people. To actually minister to a person, to a life. Not a number, not a seat that's filled, not a mass. To engage with people. Pride says, I'm too busy. I've got stuff to do. I've got a program to run. I've got this, that, the other. I really don't have time for a meeting with you. Sorry. Not power hungry. They must not be seeking power, authority, position. They must realize emphatically that it is not their church. It is Jesus' church. It is not their ministry. It's Jesus' ministry. It is not their pulpit. It's Jesus' pulpit. That indeed, Jesus is the senior pastor of the church. It all comes back to Him, belongs to Him. That's where it goes. There must be examples. Must have a Christian walk that bears fruit that others can see. So First Timothy three goes into all of these things. It must be a husband to one wife, be respected by his children, keep his house in order. Things that people can visibly see about their pastors, their leaders, their elders, that their lives, their houses are in order. Know there is a chief shepherd. They submit to the authority of Christ. They submit to the authority that's around them. For example, in this church where elder run, we have a board of elders. I submit to the board of elders. I serve here at the pleasure of the board of elders. If they determine at some point that I no longer can serve here, tip my hat. God bless you all. God's literally calling somewhere else. And off I go. I'm here for them. I must submit to that authority. Pastors submit to that authority. Leaders submit to that authority. Humble leaders do. Prideful leaders say, there's no way I'm going to argue, fight every tooth nail. There's no way I'm letting go. It's my power. It's my place. I will not submit. They are satisfied with Christ's glory and not their own. They're not looking for their name to be promoted, their church to be promoted. They simply want the name of Christ to go forward. That is what a leader desires. A humble leader, humble elder, humble pastor desires that their ministry be diminished so that Christ can be promoted. And if it means you shut the doors completely so that Jesus' gospel can go forward, then you do that. Why do I say all this to you guys? This is a great endeavor into leadership. Well, here's the thing. If indeed you want to know what we're about as leaders in this church, now you know. We value these things. We seek after these things. If you desire leadership in this church, now you know what it takes. So if you're thinking about it, I've either really discouraged you, like, man, actually, I kind of want to get involved now. 
I'm not saying we're perfect at it. I'm not saying that we, we do this well every single day. We're flawed. We're really flawed. I'm doing a little roll call in my head. Yeah, we're messed up. We don't always get it right. But we strive for these things. We want to be these things. We want you to know that we want to be these things so you can look at us and say, you're not quite being that. That's not what you're echoing to me right now. So that you have a glimpse to say, I'm going to hold you accountable. And for us as pastors, being servants, that's the desire that we would be least. So now on to the personal stuff. I'm done being uncomfortable. Everyone's staring at me going, how's he doing? I wonder. Peter moves on, starting in verse 5 directing his comments toward the body. And he jumps right in to the age gap. And here's what he says. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Mm-hmm. Now, some versions of the Bible use the word submissive to those elder among you. The debate between scholars is, does it mean the positional elder, like leader of the church, or does it really just mean someone who's older than you? The NIV kind of clarifies and uses the term those people who are older than you. So what it means, basically, if you're young, stop bagging on us old folks. We dislike it. I qualify myself as old because I'm nearer to 40 than I am to 20 anymore. So I'm nearer to 40 than I am to 30 anymore. So the deal is this. The downfall, I believe, of the under 30 generation in many cases, is that they somehow look at those older saints and say, what you guys are doing is stale and disingenuous, and we are the only generation that is now seeking pure and authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. That is us. Really? Get over yourselves. Back up. Those people have walked before you. God has put them in your path so that you may glean wisdom from them. And when you see that older saint who's been sitting in the same seat in the same church for 50, 60 years, you go and thank that man for paving the way. And you see what he has to offer. I have a friend in the Bay Area who's about a year older than me. He finally went and got himself a mentor who's 89. He said, I'm being grown and stretched more than I ever have. Because the first thing that guy did, he said, you're going to memorize scripture. Here's 108 verses. Get to work. Really put it to him. But Peter doesn't leave it at that. Oh no, hold on. He keeps going. It's not just a young people issue. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. What he's basically saying, everyone needs to start looking at one another and being gracious. So that means if you are in the older set with me, that means we got to back up off the young kid. Our pride keeps us in a place where we look at another generation and we say they're not doing it right somehow. Somehow they're dishonoring God and I'm doing it right. And the kid who's walking in in his flip-flops and his holy jeans and his ratty t-shirt with his worn-out Bible who's standing here trying to worship Jesus that you think he's dressed inappropriately. And you who look at the older saint who walks in with their their suit on, well-dressed and well-prepared to worship God. Do you guys realize you're coming in with the same heart? That you want to present yourself authentically with your best before God. 
pride keeps us from worshiping in spirit and truth together intergenerationally, understanding that we are all here for the same cause. Pride says, my way is better than your way. Pride keeps us from really honoring Christ and continuing to honor ourselves. But Peter uses an interesting word here. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. If you guys would, I'm going to draw you over to Philippians chapter 2. In the Bridgeway Bibles, it's 831. We're going to be there for a few minutes, so you can turn with me. Paul chimes in on the same thing. Here's what I would offer to you. If indeed you are concerned with, if indeed you are looking for and trying to walk out a true Christ-like life, it is my opinion, from what I see in Scripture, that humility is the key characteristic to being like Christ. If you want to be like Christ, you need to seek out humility in your life. Here's what Paul writes in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he's basically if you're claiming to be hooked in with Jesus, listen to this. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, unity, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, self-promotion. But in humility, consider others better. Here's the word, better. Not the same as, not equal to. Not just underneath you, but better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Peter and Paul sink up on this and are so united in this opinion. It gives me such clarity that if you desire to be Christ-like, you must, you must clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. You think about being clothed. Many people can be identified. I think about, like, I have four kids, and so we'll go on trips where there's going to be large crowds. We'll go to places, and I think, like, okay, we went to a trip to Disneyland last year. You could tell I'm a parent of many children because all the children get, all the boys, is to get packed in one bag. And here's what we have. We have three sets of the same outfits in different sizes. And for the days that we're going to places where there are going to be lots of crowds, the outfits include some obnoxiously brightly colored shirts. So that when we go into Disneyland, we can easily look and say, oh look, there are the three children all wearing the safety OSHA orange shirts. (laughs) And we can spot them out. That way someone tries to carry them off and they're making a fit. We're like, hey, drop my orange kid. But they can be identified easily. I can point them out and say, there is my child. Because they have been clothed a specific way. Peter challenges and says, clothe yourselves in humility. Be identified by your humility toward one another. 
Why? Because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Cut and dry. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Pride is insidious. Pride is a sin. We don't get, we're not very comfortable with that word either, sin. Ooh, what? Pride is a sin. Pride is the complete antithesis to humility. Pride is a thief. It is the place from which all sins are birthed. No matter what your sin is, no matter what your struggle is, you can take a pencil and draw a line from where you're at with that struggle right back to the place where pride birthed it. Where we justify it. Pride kills and steals so much from our Christian walk. Up to and including our ability to hold on to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It steals our ability to hold on to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because pride says you don't need a savior even though one died for you. Pride says you don't need redemption. You can do it yourself. Pride steals from us the ability to come and worship in spirit and in truth, which is what we see in John that God desires from us. It steals from us that. Pride is the thing that when you walk into church, I don't like the style of music they're playing today. Why do they have a keyboard on stage? The drums are too loud. Why isn't that guy wearing a tie? That's pride. Now, it might be self-righteous religious pride, but that's just as insidious, and if not more so, because it's more easily justified when we walk into church. Pride keeps us coming to church thinking that church is about us, that worship is about us, when in fact, gathering here on a weekend is about the glorification and promotion of the name of Jesus Christ. That is what it's for. Pride tells us differently. He goes on in verse 6 and he says this, back to 1 Peter 5, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Humble yourselves under God's hand. Here's why. So we just learned that God opposes the proud. Pride puts us in opposition to our Heavenly Father. I'm sure we could agree very quickly that that is a losing battle that none of us want to be on the other side of. Pride puts us in opposition. So he says, humble yourselves under God's hand. What does that look like? Romans 12.3 tells us to consider ourselves with sober judgment. To, to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. In accordance with the faith that God has given us. Philippians 2.3 we just read, so do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. In doing my research, came across a sermon from a pastor up in, in Washington in Mark Driscoll. I, I got this list and I stole it from him. I pilfered it right from his sermon because I loved it. These are the eight characteristics of humble people, according to Pastor Mark. I just happen to agree. 
Because we say, what does it look like to humble ourselves? Well, here are the attitudes you can put on that evidence humility in your lives. One, they're teachable. Do not consider their way the best way at all times, no matter what, they are teachable. They can receive input. They turn their critics into coaches. When someone comes and offers criticism, they can say, you know what, I can see the truth in that. They don't stand and go, no, you're wrong. I'm right. They can receive instruction and receive it well. In fact, they can find instruction out of things they may not even enjoy. They respond to correction and rebuke well. You can tell how humble a person is when you go to them and you correct them or you rebuke them. If they can say, I see the error, I'll make amends. When you come along and say, you know, there's a better way you could be doing that. Let's see if we can work this through. Or you have to come right out and say, listen, you are in error. You are in sin. Humble people respond to that and own it. And number three, they practice repentance. And he uses the words quickly and thoroughly. In other words, when you identify the need for repentance, they seek the opportunity to do so quickly, and they do it then thoroughly. They do not stand in rebellion and say, no, I won't say I'm sorry. No, I will not go make amends. I will seek that person out. In fact, I will do it right now. The Bible instructs us when we have those kinds of issues. We can't even take communion. That we're to stop ourselves, leave church, find that person, make things right before we come back to the table. Period. Pride says, I don't need to do that. Humble people consider repentance something they must do. And they seek to do it thoroughly. Not just to nod, but go, oh, I'm sorry, whatever. To make the right restitution. They are considerate of other people. Now this one floored me. I'm like in the midst of all these holy things. They are considerate. Huh? We just read it a couple chapters ago, First Peter 3, 7. He says this, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Considerate. I thought, wow. You mean to tell me that in all of this, like, that we're seeking out, this holy living, glorification of God stuff, manners are included? Thinking of other people are included? Yes! What a concept! In other words, the way we engage with people matters. The way we consider others. And the Bible is very clear. It says consider others better than yourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we learned that the neighbor is just someone who's willing to serve, someone who's engaged. But think about the society we live in and the people that we engage with on a day-to-day basis. Think about how you drive. No, not how other people drive, how you drive. Everyone's like, yeah, that person, no, no, no. How you drive. When's the last time you went to a fast food restaurant and said, may I please have... Hmm. Of course, we try to teach our kids that we want them to have manners. We want them to be well-mannered and treat people well. We're the first people to walk up to the front of a line, you know, over to the Mickey D's or the Chick-fil-A. I don't know if Ben's here or not, but whatever. Can I get a... Give me a... Let me have a... Oh, because that person across the counter, because what, they make minimum wage? They may be a teenager... You may be an adult. They're not worth considering somehow. They're somehow not part of 
God's creation. They're not a person that Jesus died for. They're not... Huh. Think about that for a second. How we consider others in our lives is as simple as how we apply manners, how we drive, our obnoxious cell phone conversations. Think about those things. Because suddenly we're faced with something that's really tangible, really right in our face, going, wow. Humble people are considerate. Because what it says is, I'm not the most important person in the room right now. But in our lives, we've been told that it's okay to be that. Number five, they serve and receive service well. In other words, humble people serve. We get that, okay, they serve. Humble people also receive service well. In my mind, nothing is worse than someone like, I'm gonna, I, 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 whoa, please, I am here to serve you. Please do not attempt to serve me. I will not receive your service. You are clearly the wretch that is in need. God has sent me to help you. Please do not attempt to help me. You will smudge my glow. (laughs) Humble people receive service. In other words, when someone is serving and serving out of humility, they will also be able to receive and allow other people around them to succeed and use their gifts and be utilized by God. Are you really going to be so prideful that you think you're just going to serve everybody and not allow anybody else to use what God has given to them or, or do what God has called them to do? See, we don't think about it that way. I just want to help everybody. I don't need help. Really? Prideful? Hmm. They, can, they are consistently aware of God's grace. Number six, consistently aware of God's grace. They are constantly aware, knowledgeable, and acknowledging the presence of God's grace in their lives. That every day, every step, every breath is covered, bathed in, and immersed in God's grace. Number seven, they disagree agreeably. Not just agree to disagree, because that can still be like, whatever, we disagree to disagree. But they disagree agreeably. They don't have to have a huge argument. They don't have to have like, you know what? I love you. I don't agree, but I love you. And I can hold my point like this and say, "Eh, it's not worth punching you in the face over. I'm not mad. They can disagree agreeably. Number eight. They are not addicted to affirmation, encouragement, gratitude, or applause. So then again, number eight, they are not addicted to affirmation, encouragement, gratitude, or applause. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in wanting to serve so someone will notice what we're doing. God is saying, I'm doing it. I'm just using you. You're submitted to what I need to do. This is about me reaching them. This is not about you doing anything. It's not to say that we shouldn't encourage one another, that we shouldn't affirm one another. These are good things, but we in our hearts should not take so much pride of ownership in the affirmation, encouragement. I'll get to why in a second. Then in verse 7 he says this, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Stop holding back. Stop trying to take control. Cast everything on God because He cares. Pride says I have to fix it myself. Pride paralyzes and keeps us in fear of the unknown. 
and thinking that we have to have it all mapped out, every possible solution, every possible direction, and we leave no room for God to move. Humility says, take it to God, because He cares for you. So this issue of not being addicted to the pride, or then the affirmation, the encouragement, here's why. Verse 8 and verse 9 say this, Be self-controlled and alert in these matters, basically saying, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. Peter is saying you have an enemy. His name is Satan. He is real. He's looking for you. Now, there are many analogies about where the lion thing comes into play. And if you've been around church, you've probably heard a couple of them. There's the one where the old lions, when they hunt, they don't have good teeth. And they don't have good claws. And so they roar, hoping to paralyze their, peer, their, their prey in fear. Ah, it's a lion. And then they eat it. Now then there's young lions who sneak up and pounce on their prey. And when they pounce on the prey, once they have the prey down, then they're roaring. Because they've got it. They're like, roar, I'm happy. I'm eating. I'm being fed. doesn't matter. You pick your analogy. It really doesn't matter. The idea is that you must be alert that there is an enemy. You must be alert that he is looking for you. You must be aware that he is trying to ensnare you with the same sin that he was cast out of heaven for. Pride was Satan's sin. He was the pinnacle angelic being in God's creation. Got prideful, decided he wanted to be God, not serve God. War ensues. Satan, one-third of the angels, get cast out of heaven. And we see them in Genesis going to Adam and Eve, our first parents, and saying, Listen, I have something for you. You don't need to listen to God. You don't need God. You can be God. You can take what God has said, throw it out the door. You can think like God and act like God. You won't die. Eat. And they ate. Fall of the world. Because of pride. And Satan is coming to you with the same things. Speaking into your life, whispering into your ear about why you don't need God. Why you don't need to submit. Why you don't need to be humble. Peter says, stand fast. Understanding and knowing that God is in control, but stand fast. Don't buy in. What are we not buying into? The society of self. We've been given and created here, especially in the States. We have been given this society of the self. Self-help. Self-esteem. Self-image. Self-actualization. It's all about the self. Really? We don't need self-esteem. We need esteem that comes from an image in Christ. We don't need self-image. We need an identity that is founded in who He has made us to be. That He has died on a cross that says the old things are gone. The new creation is here and that's what you are. That you need to own that. We don't need self-help. We can't help ourselves. If we could help ourselves, we wouldn't need a cross. I'm really enjoying this. I want you to know. Heck yeah! Can you stay for the next service, please? 
But it is the cold, hard truth of the gospel that says Jesus came and died for you, and pride says, no, you don't need it. That is the struggle of pride. And at every turn, Satan is saying to you, you can be more. You can be the, all that you need to be, all that you want to be. Here are these easy steps to do it. Why submit? Why listen to God? Why wait for Him? You don't need Him. You need yourself. And the lie of pride says, well, actually, pride will make me more like Christ because then I'm self-sufficient and I can be powerful and I can be autonomous and I can make good decisions. The lie of pride is this. Pride will not make you more like Christ. It will make you more like Satan. Wow. That's a rough statement, but it's truth. Christ was humble, so humble, in fact, that he submitted himself to death on a cross. The Creator allowed himself to be crushed by the creation for their redemption. And pride says it doesn't matter. And in the end, here's what it says, verse 10. When you do all of these things, when you realize and recognize humility must be, then you are content with this, the God of all grace, who called you in his eter- to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, which is just your lifetime, that's all, don't worry about it, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So the question for you is this. Are you so busy pulling yourself up by your bootstraps that you don't see the hand of God Almighty there to pull you up? I can do it myself. You sound like the average four-year-old. I do it myself. I was like, really? Because I've made a way. And I've made a plan. And I've given you truth. And I've given you life. But we have a patient, long-suffering God that's willing to let you stumble around with your bootstraps in your hand, falling on your face, going, I'm right here. Gospel's still available for you. What would you rather have? The object of this morning's sermon is not to leave you just battered and yelled, going, I'm so wretched. Although, that wouldn't hurt. So when we realize our own wretchedness, we realize our own brokenness, that's when God can come in and do some stuff. And I'm not preaching at you because I've got this all nailed down either. But the question for us is, how will we pursue humility? How will we stare into the face of pride and say no? How will we try to learn to see through the disguises that pride comes to us in? That we could be more of what God intended us to be. By submitting to his direction, his plan, his authority in our lives. Would you pray with me? Jesus, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you that rightly divided it convicts our hearts. And God, I pray this morning that you would continue to speak to us. God, knock us around a little bit if need be. That we would understand that through humility, God, we become more aware of what you are trying to do in our lives. That through humility, God, we are able to submit ourselves to you. God, through humility we come and rightly worship you. And so, God, I pray that you would begin to instill it in our lives, that we would set pride aside, that we would put it away. God, help us in our struggles against it. God, we will need your strength. God, watch over us and guide us. Help us to see every opportunity that we could grow and be shaped by you through your Holy Spirit to fulfill the plans that you have for us to lay everything else down before you, humbly. In your name we pray. Amen.